If you'd like to follow along, the passage should be uh, around page one of the second half of the Pew Bible, uh, if, you, if you need to look at that there. Most, if not all of us, will celebrate Christmas later this week. Is it a secular holiday, time with family to uh, share presents? Obviously, that might look different this year, depending on your situation, but some, for some of us, that's what we think of when we think of Christmas. Is it a religious observance of some kind? That's what maybe you think of when you think of Christmas. The reality is, for most of us, there are some elements of both in our celebration of Christmas every year, right? And so sometimes, because Christmas uh, used to be a December thing, and now it's a shopping holiday that starts sometime in the fall, and sometimes even Christmas in July, there's been a pushback in more recent years to find the true meaning of Christmas, right? And the reality is that rather than trying to rescue Christmas from commercialism or something like that, uh, I think we should look to the Bible to see the Christ that the holiday's name refers to. When you think of Christ, don't think of him as some sort of story or legend that is for children. Jesus is not Santa Claus. Don't think of him as some sort of cute, cuddly character. Jesus is not the child of recent TV series. Jesus is, instead, as the book of Matthew describes him, a king. As the song we just sang talks about that, that he comes to rule and to reign. And as we think of Jesus as the king, we'll have one of three responses. We see those three responses in the passage that was read this morning and, and continues through the end here of the chapter. If you crave power, as King Herod did, you will see one who comes as a king as a threat to the power that you desire. If you pursue knowledge, as the scribes, the religious leaders in Jerusalem did, you will see Christ the king as the mere fulfillment of some intellectual challenge, curiosity, some ancient prophecy come to life, possibly, but you won't really follow or submit to him. And if you actually want a king, as the magi, the wise men, these men from the east did, what will you do? You will do as they did toward the end of the chapter. You will rejoice at his coming and bow down before him and worship him. And so this morning, I want us to see how Matthew 2 tells us this. Worship Christ as the king. Don't treat him as a threat or as a curiosity. We'll start with the bad responses first. They're seen in the major characters of our story, as I already mentioned. First, King Herod. Don't treat Christ as a threat as King Herod did. How do we know that he saw him as a threat? Well, verse 3 here of chapter 2 says this. When Herod the king heard of it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why was he troubled when he heard of a new king? Herod had been appointed to his position as king by the Romans, given sort of a, a token ruler position over a small part of the land of Israel. And if a new person was coming who claimed to be king, that put his standing in jeopardy, that put him in a difficult spot, would he have to acknowledge this king? Would he have to give up his throne? What would happen? So he was troubled by this news that a new king was coming. Herod's next move was to locate the new king, both place and how old is he? 
Is he a military-aged man who's going to stir up a revolt and take my place? Is he, what is he? Where is he? We need to find him. He claimed that he wanted to find him, according to verse 8, because he wished to worship him too. In verse, as it says, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. But what was his real goal? His real goal was to destroy the king. We see this in the end of the chapter, which we didn't read yet this morning. Verse 16 says this, Then when Herod saw he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew, killed all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all around it from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. So he asked them, About when did you see the star? About how old would this king, this ruler be? He determined from them that the time frame was somewhere around two years. And so that meant that he wanted to make no mistake and get rid of any possible threats to his throne. So he kills all of the boy babies in the surrounding area of the city to get rid of them. In his anger and jealousy, Herod fulfilled God's word. Verses 18, verse 18 says, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. God's word had foretold that Herod would act in this way, and so even in his sinful act, Herod ended up accomplishing the thing that he didn't want to accomplish, which was to fulfill God's purpose and God's plan. But Herod was obviously guilty for this act of genocide against the boys in the region of Bethlehem. And so as all sinners do, Herod received God's judgment. Look at verse 19, but when Herod died. Now he didn't die immediately. This Herod died at a relatively old age. He had reigned for a decent period of time, unlike one of his later descendants who blasphemes God and is struck dead within a matter of days. This Herod looked like he got away with it, right? But the reality is, because Herod saw Jesus as a threat and refused to acknowledge him as king and tried to destroy him, he would face God's judgment at the point at which he died. As we saw in previous weeks in the book of Hebrews when we've been studying together, it is the simple fact that it is appointed for us once to die and after this comes judgment. And Herod had nothing to stand before God and say, my great sins have been dealt with. And so when Herod died, he died under God's judgment. And so we see the first bad response to Jesus in this passage, which is to see him as a threat. Now you or I probably don't see Jesus as the king, as a threat to whether we're going to rule or reign. It's not like we're the mayor of a city or the president or a king of some faraway country. So the news of another king is not a political threat to us, right? But the news of a king is a threat to us in this sense. If he's a king, then he's in charge. And if he's in charge, that means I can't do whatever I want. That means that I'm going to have to do what he wants. That means that it might be something that I don't want to do, and I don't necessarily want that for my life. So the simple course and response that we would often have is to reject him as our king. But as Herod found out, our rejection of Jesus as the king doesn't mean that he's not the king. 
He's still the king, whether we acknowledge him willingly or not. Philippians 2 says this later in the Bible. It says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Throughout the rest of Scripture, it says this, Jesus is coming and he's going to reign and you're going to be in one of two categories at that point. You're going to be in the category of those who have acknowledged Jesus as their king prior to his coming and you will be on the winning side. Or you'll be in the category of those who have rejected King as His coming, and you still will acknowledge Him as King, because that fact remains. He is King, and He is God, and nothing we do can change that. But the terrible truth is, if you are on the wrong side of acknowledging Jesus as King, you've refused to acknowledge Him, you face God's certain and terrible judgment. You say, well, that's... That's not a warm, fuzzy sort of idea to talk about on Christmas, but it's the truth. Jesus didn't come to be a baby, to be in Christmas cards, to give us a warm, fuzzy feeling. Jesus came to be the King, as Matthew's Gospel points us to. He was born of kings. He returns to reign as a king. He is bringing in His kingdom. And the question is, will you be a part of God's kingdom, or will you stand as His enemy? And if you stand as His enemy, like Herod, you will fail in your attempts to stop his purpose, or to reject his authority. What then is the second response? You might say, well, Jesus is an interesting idea. And to that I would say, don't treat Christ as a mere curiosity like the religious leaders did. It's possible for you to have knowledge of God that doesn't really do a whole lot for you. What I mean by that is this. There were these men who studied the ancient writings and prophecies of Jeremiah and others in the Old Testament. And so when Herod says, where is he going to be born? They had the answer just like that. They said, we know where he's going to be born. We know the right answer. Trivia, we've got this. Jeopardy, we would win. But in terms of that actually changing and affecting their life, it didn't. How do we know this? They didn't worship Him. When it says the wise men came and bowed before Him and worshipped Him, there were no religious leaders there with them, just the wise men. So they knew the right answer, but the right answer didn't do anything for them in their life. There's a sobering passage in the book of James that talks about this as well. It says, you fear God, you do well. You believe in God? There is a God out there somewhere? Good. But recognize that the demons, the the bad angels who have rejected God, they know that there's a God. They know it better than you and I do. They have a better appreciation for God's power. But do you know what's true of them? They still don't believe in Him. They still don't submit to Him as their King. And so they too are under God's judgment. And so for you and I to say, well, yeah, there's probably a God out there. Or... You know, you look at the world and you're like, yeah, this probably didn't come here by accident. There's some greater being. It's not enough just to acknowledge the fact of a God. You and I need to submit to the one true God, the God of the Bible, and not treat Him as a mere curiosity. Why? Well, for one, the religious leaders didn't just leave Him as an intellectual curiosity. They ended up later seeing Him as a threat as well. And later in the book of Matthew, they falsely accuse Jesus and they put him to death. 
but he did not stay dead. God raised him from the dead and again triumphed over their schemes and their plans. So don't view Christ as a curiosity. He cannot be a good teacher. Why? Because he claimed to be God. There's a, a case where the religious leaders are talking with Jesus and they say, we're sons of Abraham. And in response to this, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He claims the title of God. Do you know what they're ready to do? They're ready to stone him for blasphemy, for claiming to be God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders knew what most of us fail to acknowledge today, which is you can't just say, well, Jesus was a good teacher and take his good ethical teachings and throw away the rest because the whole thing goes together. You can't have someone who claims to be God, but it says live a good life and follow just part of what he says because the whole thing is suspect. He is either what he says to be or he's a liar or he's crazy. Do you know what the religious leaders said about Jesus? They said, at one point, you're a liar. At another point, they said, you have a demon. But they would not acknowledge that Jesus is, in fact, the Lord, the King, the one that needs to be followed. But as I said a moment ago, their attempts to silence Jesus did not succeed. What ended up happening? They killed Jesus. But God raised him from the dead. They tried to stop him from being king, and the rest of the Bible testifies that Jesus ascended to his proper place at God the Father's right hand and is going to return as the king. And so again, whether you view Jesus as a threat, whether you view Jesus as a curiosity, these responses ultimately fail, bring you under God's judgment, and are the wrong responses to Christ. Now, I will admit that the second response is not necessarily bad in its beginning. You say, I've never heard about Jesus. I want to learn more about him. That's a good thing. The problem for the religious leaders is when they did learn more about him, they rejected it. So it may be that you've not heard of Jesus or there's much that you don't understand about Jesus. It is good to seek more knowledge about who he is. But then once you receive that knowledge... You have to submit to him as the king because that is what he calls you to do. But what is the proper response? The proper response is to worship Christ as the king. We see this in the wise men. What did they do? Well, verse 1, they traveled far to find the king. Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. It doesn't say exactly where they came from, but many would believe that it was from the region of Babylon in modern-day Iraq, and they traveled all the way over to Jerusalem, which is in Israel, which is a pretty far journey in their day, in order to find and to see this king. They continued to follow him and search for him until they found him. So we saw that in verses 9 and 10. After hearing the king, they went on their way, they saw the star, and then when they saw it, they rejoiced with great joy, and they came to the house where Jesus was. And what was their response then after that? They worshipped the king. Verse 11, they fell to the ground and worshipped him, and then they gave him these gifts. There is significance in what these gifts are. They are a 
foretelling of Jesus' ministry. Gold signified that he was a king. Joseph, Jesus' earthly adoptive father, was a carpenter. He didn't deserve gold just because he was an amazing carpenter. They didn't bring it for him. They brought it for Jesus, acknowledging that Jesus is the king. Frankincense is an incense that you would burn in worship to a deity. They are acknowledging that he is God. And myrrh is a spice that would have been used in the burial process of someone who had died, anticipating that Jesus was going to die for sin and to be buried. And so in these gifts that they gave, the important thing is not how many wise men there are or the number of gifts, but what the gifts signify. Jesus is the King. Jesus is God. Jesus came to die for sins. So the question for us is, knowing these things, that Jesus is the way to God as God himself, that Jesus opens the way to God when he dies for sin, and that Jesus is coming back to rule and reign as the king, the question for us is whether we will stubbornly insist on rejecting him as Herod did, on treating him as an interesting factor idea as the religious leaders did, or whether we will have the right response as the wise men did, and worship Jesus as the King. What does that look like for you and I today? Well, it looks like this. It looks like instead of trying to come to God by being a good person, by praying prayers, by whatever it might be, that we would hold up to God and say, look at this thing that I did, now I deserve to belong to you. Instead of that, we throw all of that aside, as Paul says later in one of his letters, I count all of that as rubbish, as trash, as garbage. My efforts before God are not just worthless, they are an insult to God because God has given the greatest gift in Jesus, and if I hold up my poor efforts beside it, it is foolish and it is insulting to God. So we stop trying to bring things to God as though God needed anything from us, as though anything we do could be enough to please God. We throw all that aside, and we say, God, you have provided Jesus, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and I will come to you through him. The fact that he lived a perfect life, the fact that he died a, a substitutionary death to pay for my sin, I claim that, not these things, not my own efforts, not my own intellectual ability. I claim Jesus only. And then what does it mean from there? What it means from there is the other part that in a lot of modern day Christianity we've forgotten. Jesus didn't just come to give you a ticket to heaven so you could check the box and say, I'm good, I'm on my way, I'm going to go do whatever I want until it's time for my flight to leave. Jesus came to rule your life both now and in the future. Sometimes we try to cover that up, right? Sometimes we try to package it as, well, if you believe in Jesus, your life will be better. I can promise you this, your life is going to be harder at some points if you follow Jesus. Why do I know that? 
Because Jesus said at one point in his ministry, if they persecuted, if they rejected me, they will persecute, they will reject you. And so what I am offering you this morning from God's word is not an easy life or lots of money or whatever you want. God's not the magical genie, the vending machine, the one who, the the grandparents who buy you the nice Christmas gift. That's not the biblical picture of Jesus. The biblical picture of Jesus is a king. So the question for you and I is, are we going to submit to him as the king? Are we going to be part of his people when he comes to claim his kingdom? Are we, like Herod, or the religious leaders, going to have the wrong response to Jesus and face God's judgment and be blind to the very coming of God in our own presence as the religious leaders were, knew all the right answers, were blind to the fact that the fulfillment of all the things they hoped for was right in front of them. May God help us not to be stubborn like Herod, blind like the religious leaders, but to submit to Jesus as the king as this passage calls us to do because he is the king and we need to worship him and we need to follow him and we need to come to God through him. Let's pray. Dear God, we've looked at this passage briefly this morning. Perhaps these are things that we've heard many times. May these truths sink down into our souls once again. Maybe these are truths that we've not heard or understood clearly before now. May we have a right response to them and not walk out of here and say, no big deal, I'll think about it more later, but to recognize the urgency that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. If this year has taught us anything, it's that life is uncertain. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have a proper response to Jesus as the King, not to reject Him, not to see Him as an interesting thing to think about, but that we would come before Jesus as the King who has graciously come down to His people that we might dwell forever with Him and know Him as our God and as our Savior. We pray that you might help us see these things clearly this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.